You are listening to the official podcast of Refuge, where we believe all people matter to God. Well, today I have the honor of introducing you, uh, Pastor Paul Shirk from Faith Christian Church in Mawson, Wisconsin, which is actually where I moved from. And more than just being my pastor, he is also my father-in-law. And him being here today really just shows you that no matter where you move, your in-laws will find you. And they will show up. No, I'm just kidding. He's a great man. I would describe him as a man of intrigue and action. I remember one time he was watching a YouTube video of someone throwing axes. He's like, huh. So next time I come over and sure enough, I'm like, oh, where's Pastor? He's in the backyard throwing axes at a log. And it just, it was something that intrigued him. So he kind of took action about it. And one thing in his life that has intrigued him more than anything else has been God in the Bible. So that's something where he took that, that intrigue and turned it into action. And he had got his master's in sacred studies and in philosophy. And eventually he went on to get his doctorate in philosophy. So while I don't think we're going to benefit from his learning of axe throwing today, I know we're going to be benefiting from his learning and knowledge of Jesus in the Bible today. So everyone give him a warm round of applause as he comes up. Thank you so much. You, you can surely go ahead and be seated. Thank you, David, I think. But uh, no access from me today, so we're, we're all good. I, I, am, uh, I am pleased to be here today. It's an honor for me to come and to speak to you as a great church, one of Wisconsin's great churches right here in Stevens Point. And uh, I'm going to be talking to you today about expectation. In the whole series of miracles that you're doing, following through the process of finding the God of miracles in our life, we're going to talk about expectation. And as we talk today, it'll be my privilege to present to you an opportunity to make miracles happen right here in Wisconsin. And uh, I'm thrilled about that, but I hope that you'll join me in a brief prayer as we welcome God to be able to speak to our lives today and certainly help me to communicate better. And uh, yes, David, your in-laws will follow you wherever you go. So uh, let's, uh, let's have a word of prayer. Would you join me? Father, today we thank you. You are God and you are here and we're glad to be here too. And we pray that you, by the agency and the action of the Holy Spirit, would move right now in a very real way to do several things. We ask you very specifically, help us to hear what you might say to us today. Help us to clear our, our mind of blocks and calluses, distractions, fears, things that would keep us from really encountering Jesus today. Clear those, please, for us, Father, and help us here. Uh, we pray that you would also speak to us above the abilities that I have to communicate. I pray that you would communicate with your people today and drive home your principle and your truth, your hope for them and for our future. And lastly, we pray for our beloved state of Wisconsin with all five and a half million people 
many of them in churches right now. We pray that you visit all of them all throughout this state in the hundreds or thousands of churches gathering, that Jesus would be exalted, that heaven would be uh, feel your worship, and that souls would be brought to your kingdom. We pray it today in Jesus' name. If you can agree, would you say amen? Amen. Well, again, uh, thank you for all of you here, all the team uh, that uh, puts together services here. Thank you for the invitation. And for all of you, I'm pleased to be here. Uh, I am, as introduced, Paul Shurek. And my doctor really, doctorate really isn't in philosophy. It's in sacred studies. So that, that might matter a little bit. But what, uh, what I'd like to talk to you today about is how we can maintain expectancy. What is the concept what role does expectancy have in miracles? And, and we're going to take a little journey today, and in a moment we'll be sharing a passage of scripture, but I want to kind of introduce myself with a story and also tie that in to what expectancy means in our lives as we do. Uh, as David introduced, I am from Austin, Wisconsin. Uh, my lovely wife, Doreen, is here. Raise your hand, love. There she is. All right. And uh, I'll go ahead and clap. She's, she's worth it. And uh, we're here from Austin, but I actually grew up just about 10 or 15 minutes up the road from right here, outside of a little town called Melador. And uh, we were farmers there, and uh, growing up in rural Wisconsin, Melador was going to town, so that's really rural. And uh, Stevens Point was the big city we came to about once a month when I was young and growing up. So, I wouldn't say that I had a bad life growing up. I wouldn't say that it was, I would say that it was probably fairly good, but it wasn't all that easy. Uh, we had a nice family, hardworking parents that stayed together and made life work. I don't know that I ever really connected with my dad as much as I would like to have. But he was a good man. I respected him. And growing up on that farm in the summer of my 15th year, I remember my father acting sickly and uh, complaining about a sore throat and other things. And even though I was 15, I could see that my mom was pretty concerned about his health more than normal. And uh, sure enough, as the summer grew into fall, he had some testing done and we found out in the fall that he had cancer. And it was cancer of the throat. And then we found out that the cancer of the throat had grown already to such a place that the doctors really didn't offer much hope of a cure. I'll never forget that fall. I was out on the farm and I was driving a, a corn chopping rig. And uh, I remember driving that rig, thinking about my dad, thinking about life, thinking about God. I had been raised in a church, very traditional, uh, liturgical church, nothing wrong with that. I knew that there was a God, I understood prayer, and I knew I wanted to pray for my dad. I knew he needed a miracle. I was clueless on how to connect with a miracle-working God. But I do remember thinking, he needs you, and I need you, and none of us are prepared to walk through this valley that we've started with my dad's cancer and things progressed, and he had a surgery, and then he had radiation treatments, and, and uh, it wasn't pretty. Many of you have known that 
and walk by personal experience. I'm telling you that story not to try to draw some emotional thing from you, but to talk to you about the journey of prayer and expectation and miracles. When I first started praying for my dad, I, I, I wouldn't say that I had a real active faith for a miracle. That, that kind of thing really wasn't taught in our church, and, and I wouldn't have known how to make that connection. But I did pray, and I did actually think, you know, God, you can do anything. You could heal my dad, I thought. And I prayed with that kind of faith, and, or I, whatever it was, that kind of expectation. I was hopeful. And then as the weeks turned into months, my prayer, and by no means was I a pious, godly young man, I was in trouble and getting deeper. But I still prayed. And as the weeks and months progressed and he only got worse, my prayer evolved. And it morphed into, instead of a prayer of hope and expectation, it became a prayer of, God, can't you do anything? Isn't there something that can happen? All we hear is bad news. And then as those months turned into a year, and it was clear, medically speaking, that my dad wasn't going to survive, I remember the days that I prayed, God, if you can't heal him, can you please let him die peacefully and quickly? Now, I'm not saying that to get an emotional response from you, but any of you who have lived with and lived through the long, tragic death of a loved one, you know those feelings that you walk through as you watch someone that you know suffer. And if you haven't, thank God you haven't. But many of us today will face the need for a miracle just like my dad did. Many of us will know someone, and if you don't now, we will at some point come into contact with someone who drastically needs a miracle. And you may, like I did, walk through that road of prayer from God, you can do it, to God, can't you do it, to if you're not going to do it, to whatever. And the whatever is where I got to in my journey of prayer and in that whatever I found myself and I felt like I was on a on a sea with a boat and the motor quit and there wasn't a sail and my God boat was drifting I believe there was a God I, I didn't doubt that there was a God I just realized that whoever he was wherever he was I certainly didn't know how to connect with them that didn't work and I was drifting and drifting on that sea of hopelessness with no expectation, I bumped into something. And it was the most wonderful experience of my life. I was 17, and a lady who was a neighbor of ours, a courageous lady, and maybe some of you know her, I'll give her credit, her name is Lois Flick. She came over to our house, and even though she went to a different church, an evangelical church, and we were very liturgical, and kind of segregated from them. She asked if she could come and read my dying father the Bible. And we thought, well, I guess that's what neighbors do. You want to read the Bible? We thought, frankly, she was a little whacked out. But we were neighbors, and it was the old-fashioned concept. So she came over day after day to read the Bible, and she did. And it 
And I thought, you know, like read the Bible like one day for five minutes. She came every day and stayed for an hour. And I used to peer into the room where she sat by his bedside reading him scriptures about Jesus and about knowing Jesus means you live even after you die and about how if you have Jesus, you have eternal life and death is nothing because you'll be resurrected after you're dead and after, after you die. And, and we heard all those things and she left behind a beautiful little New Testament. And I was a troubled person. My father eventually passed and I was still adrift. But I searched and I thought if there was ever hope for me, it's gonna be found in that book that Lois left. And I picked up that Bible and I started to read it. Long story short, on the drifting sea of hopelessness of my life, I met Jesus and he changed my life. And it was on that rural old farm outside of Millard, Wisconsin, that I knew that God had called me to preach the gospel. I remember kneeling under a lilac bush still in that farm and praying, God, should I be a missionary or should I be a pastor? I thought those were the only two options if you're going to be a preacher. I didn't want to be a pastor. I wanted the adventure of missionary. I thought, surely God would accept a volunteer for missionary. I didn't even expect him to answer. And he said, my people here need a spiritual leader. And I knew I needed to be a pastor. I want to fast forward to a Bible story of someone else who was drifting on that sea of hopelessness and met Jesus. Would you join me as we read in John's Gospel, chapter number five? After these things, there was a feast of the Jews, and Jesus went up to Jerusalem. Now, there is in Jerusalem, by the Sheep Gate, a pool, which is called in Hebrew Bethesda, having five porches. In these lay a multitude of them that were sick, blind, halt, withered, and waiting for the moving of the water. For an angel of the Lord went down at certain seasons into the pool and troubled the water. And whosoever then, first after the troubling of the water, stepped in, was made whole of whatsoever disease he was holden. And a certain man was there who had been 38 years in his infirmity. And when Jesus saw him lying and knew that he had been now a long time in that case, he said to him, do you want to be made whole? And the sick man answered him, sir, I have no man when the water is troubled to put me into the pool. But while I am coming, another steps down before me. And Jesus said to him, arise, take up your bed and walk. And immediately the man was made whole, and he took up his bed and walked. And now it was the Sabbath day. This man had been waiting and had been ill and had been paralyzed for 38 years. This man had taken a journey, perhaps like mine. I don't know where his journey started, but I do know where it ended. He found himself in the right place to be healed. He was at the pool of Bethesda. And whether or not the, the, the angel stirring the water was something that really did happen or whether it was sort of a mystical tradition that they believed happened, Jesus didn't validate it and he didn't invalidate it. But the man was there hoping for a miracle. And that's where his journey started. By the time he met Jesus, that hope had morphed into hopelessness. He was in the right place. 
He was doing, he was where he should have been, but he had moved from God, I know you can, to whatever. How do I know that? Because when he met Jesus, who was the embodiment of his miracle, all he had was, it's not going to happen. And Jesus went right to his life and went right to the source of his problem. And he spoke to the very center of his heart. And he said, do you want to be made well? That's kind of like going to a doctor, going to the ER, because you're really, really sick. And you get there, and you know, you're just in this horrible pain. You say, doc, can you help me? And the doctor looks at me and goes, well, uh, do you want to be well or not? What do you think I'm here for? Jesus addressed his real problem. His real problem was that throughout these years of waiting, he had moved from, God, I know you can, to whatever. He was still going through the right motions, but that's where it stopped. And I'm telling you today that there's a lot of Christians today, perhaps some of you sitting in church right now, right where you are, that have moved from, God, I know you can, to whatever. But we walk into church and how are you doing today? Ah, yeah, great. Yeah, praise the Lord. We know all the right words. We know how to lift our hands and quiver our hands when we sing a song. We know how to say amen when the preacher preaches. But we walk in the doors and we walk out of the doors and we have no expectancy whatsoever. Somebody hurt us, somebody let us down, something happened, something didn't happen, life goes on, and somehow or another we blame God for it, or we just realize whatever. I think there's a lot of people like that. My prayer is today, today, this is what I've been praying for, today, your drifting ship will bump into Jesus. That today, Someone, somehow, this service, some song, somebody shaking your hand, some video, some word that I say, something that will happen will encounter your life and you'll go, oh, what am I doing? And that was what Jesus did when he spoke to that man, looking at the man laying paralyzed on a cot. What do you think? The man's looking at him. He says, do you want to be made whole? Jesus said only two things. That's the first one. Do you want to be made whole? That was to provoke him. To provoke him. We don't like to be provoked. Provoking is like, a provocation is like an alarm clock when you're tired. You know you need it, but you don't want it. You want to be made whole? What do you mean do I want to be made whole? What do you think I'm doing here? Of course, but... And then he started in with an excuse litany. They were good excuses. They were valid reasons why he couldn't get to that water. But the bottom line is he had given up hope. Jesus knew it. And Jesus was going to address his real problem. Now I'm going to take a little segue right now for just the next couple of moments and talk to you about this question. First of all, I asked, and I do ask, where are you on that journey? Are you God? I know you can. Or are you, God, uh, can you? Or are you, whatever? Where are you? Here's the next question. Where are we? Where are we collectively as Christians? It doesn't matter about just refuge or just faith Christian church in Boston or just whatever church in this state. Where are all of us collectively at? 
The last 15 to 20 years in America have seen a dramatic shift of religious and spiritual background. And if you haven't seen that, I, I question if you've been awake and you've been in the church world. Maybe you're new to church and you don't understand. But those of you that have been a part of church for decade after decade after decade, like me, realize that there's been a huge shift in this country. Christianity, you know, 20 years ago, was thriving everywhere we had and you still have some of them here today. We had Christian school, we had Christian radio, we had Christian TV started, we had things like Promise Keepers and, and, and dozens of other national ministries that had so much expectation on them that everybody thought, wow, look what God is doing in our country. And just a short number of years later, we look around and go, God, can you? And we go, whatever. Our, our church, our, we have five and a half million souls here in Wisconsin, just this state. Are we winning them? Is Christianity thriving? Have we reached out with this compelling good news like Lois did to our family? And have we won those young people and brought them to Jesus? And are they training for ministry like I did? Are they going to fill pulpits like I do today? Are we seeing that happen on a large scale? Are we actually the salt and the light of our culture? Are we having a bigger effect on our dying culture than the dying culture is having an effect on us? Are we? God, we know you can. Or will you? Or are we whatever? I, spoke, I speak to pastors quite a bit, as your pastor does. Just two days ago, I spoke to a pastor who called me, who was whatever. More and more and more and more, I find pastors, Christian leaders, and even Christian leaders who've been in churches for a long time saying, whatever. We go through the motions. We're not going to quit. Thank God for those that don't quit. But lots have quit. Lots have said, whatever, I'm just done. Let me tell you something. I believe that Jesus wants to encounter us personally, and I believe that Jesus wants to encounter us collectively with the good news, and I believe he has a word for us personally, and I believe he has a word for us right here in Wisconsin, and I believe that word is number one, what do you want? Do you want to be well? And number two, here it is, get ready. He's going to say, it's time to get up and walk. It's time to get up and walk. But before you even think of getting up and walk, you're going to have to move from this place of whatever to, yes, you can, God. About eight years ago in our church, I was provoked by one of our children. It was in Bible school, and it was God used a simple conversation after our Wednesday night service. And he called back and said, hey, Dad, how is church tonight? And I said, well, yes, it's good. It wasn't phenomenal. It was just Wednesday night church. How was church? It was good. And he said, good? That's it? Just good? Are you settling for good? I thought you were a man of God. He just started off on me, you know, and I think probably half of it was teasing. But I went home and I thought, you know what? He's right. What do you mean good? Good isn't enough. We need to win souls. We need to break this darkness. We need to see something happen. So he said, over at Bible school here, we've been praying two hours a morning. And I thought, well, if they can do it, we can do it. 
So we got our church together and I said, 6 a.m., we're going to be praying for two hours a day. You know, first week or two, we had a dozen, a couple dozen people. Wears out fast at 6 in the morning. Got down to where there weren't too many of us, but we did it for six years. Every morning, coming out to church, praying. I'm going to tell you about an experience that I had. One of those mornings in prayer. Well, you know, as, as we prayed, you know, you've got two hours to pray. If you sit down and set a timer and say, I'm praying for two hours, you'd be amazed at how much you get prayed for in five minutes. You think, okay, God, we've been praying for hours. And you look down, it's been six minutes and 30 seconds. So we'd pray for two hours. And after a while, I figured out I've got to have a system here. We're just going to sit here and listen. You know, I don't want to do that. So I, went, I, I prayed, and God would begin to lay on my heart to pray for Wisconsin our own state, who's never really had a, a, a spiritual visitation, who, who, a, a place where evangelical Christianity and even traditional Christianity is now on the downside. But we begin to pray. And one day as I prayed, I remember the spot I was kneeling at in the back of our sanctuary, a very little sanctuary at the time, a little sound booth, and I knelt down to pray, and the moment I did, now I'm not one of these guys that has these revelations every five minutes, you know, and I'm here to tell you every, uh, you know, very few in my whole life, but I knelt to pray there, and I saw something. I closed my eyes, and I saw. My eyes were closed, but I looked, and I knew I was looking into the past of Wisconsin, and I saw a wild wooded landscape and a river running through the woods. And besides that river, I saw a man dressed in black clothing, whom I knew, I mean, I didn't know mentally, but I knew in my heart when I saw him that he was one of the first missionary explorers of Wisconsin. And I saw him in that vision, kneeling by the river, like this. And I'm telling you, I'm not, I'm not trying to over-traumatize it. I'm telling you that I heard the Holy Spirit say to me, this man's prayers have held Wisconsin for me till now. But what will you do? what will you do? And I thought, well, I'll pray. And we did. And we do. And I do. And three points of prayer came out of this vision. We pray for souls to be saved. People to come to know Jesus. I pray every day for at least a tithe a 10%. You know, we believe in tithing our money to God, to giving him, giving him our first. That's very important. It's really cool. Don't you think God wants at least 10% of a young generation of Wisconsin that's going to be lost without him? Can't we pray? That's what I felt challenged. Can't we pray for at least 550,000? That's not that many people. Hundreds and thousands of churches in Wisconsin. We can win 550,000 people if we get up off of our cot and walk. If we get some expectancy, we begin to pray for our society to be reformed, that we would have a bigger effect on the world than the world has on us. And then we begin to pray that his church, not just my church, not just your church, his churches, would rise in triumph instead of fade away into unhealthy degradation. And we pray for it every day. And in a local sense, in our tiny little town of Austin, we have 4,000 people in Austin, Wisconsin. Our entire county has 20,000. That's probably less than right here in this city. But God began to win souls. And young people begin to come to our church. 
we saw hundreds of them. And, and even today, as I'm speaking, there's people gathering two services in our little town in Austin, Wisconsin. People think, how'd you do it? Well, I know one thing that happened is if you pray for souls to be saved and you rise up off of your bed and you have some real expectancy, anything can happen. And souls begin to be saved. And God to begin to make connections in our own area with secular leaders in our society that we could help turn the, the tide of some of the things that were happening right in our own culture and have an effect on that. And then we begin to see leaders begin to rise up and say, I'll step forward. I'll, I'll be a leader. I'll be a spiritual, reason, uh, a spiritual leader. David, who introduced me, is in our program, Anna of ministerial leadership and we've got over 20 and even as I'm speaking today as many as 10 people have come from our little church and are either pastoring churches, assisting, assistant pastoring, missionaries, hospital chaplains, prison chaplains and they're around the world and today they're going to be preaching the gospel and winning souls. Just one of our interns yesterday said I'm preaching every weekend now. 16 souls saved last weekend as I'm preaching the gospel and I'm thinking if that can happen in Boston, Wisconsin, what could happen here? Here. What could happen in Wausau and Greenboy and La Crosse and Madison and little tiny towns all over Wisconsin if we move from whatever to God? Yes, you can. We formed an organization which your pastor is part of the uh, board of advisors for called the Northern Christian Alliance. That organization has one purpose to pray, and, and you got as you came in here today. You got a little flyer like this. On the back of it is our mission statement. Working and praying together to present the message of Jesus Christ, strengthen churches, and have a positive effect on the culture of Wisconsin and the North. I've risen up off of my cot, and I'm asking you to do the same. I'm believing that this is an hour of great vision for the church and we must get past whatever and just going through the motions of church, even if it means we must embrace a new style to reach a new group of young people. I'm with some of you. I've had to make all those changes, but I'll gladly make them when I see souls worshiping and coming to a cross and turning their life around and becoming ministers, and I will do that. And whatever we have to do, we need to rise up and say, yes, God, there is hope for Wisconsin's five and a half million people. Churches should be growing and being strengthened all over this state and you can be a part of making that difference by praying and committing to pray for Wisconsin. As you leave today, I'm going to ask you to join us. You say, what do we have to do? Make a commitment at least weekly, I hope daily, but at least weekly to pray for these three things for Wisconsin, for souls to be saved, for our society to be reformed, and for churches to rise in victory. We also ask, because we're not limiting it to any, num any kind of church or any variety, we also ask that you would agree with the simple statement of faith recorded in the Apostles' Creed, because I believe that's a real basic Christian belief that almost all good churches will agree with. We see a day coming when hundreds and thousands of Christians can pray for Wisconsin on a daily basis, and we believe that God will answer those prayers. You can sign up. There's a table as you leave the church, and I'm asking you to do it. You sign up by making a commitment. Put your email down there. We'll add you to a list. We won't bother you or do weird stuff, but we will send you updates about what's happening in Wisconsin, how we can pray, and testimonies of what God has done. We need you, and I'm asking you to join us.
Now, today, as we close, I have three questions for you to consider. Back to us personally. Not just how are we doing, how are you doing? Where are you at in this journey of hope and expectancy? Second Peter chapter 1, verse 19 says that you do well to take heed to the word of God as a light that shines in a dark place until, everyone say until. Why are we looking at the word of God? Why now if we feel like we're drifting on this sea of life and we're in a religious boat without a motor and without a sail? How can we, what should, why should we look? We should look until the day dawns and the morning star rises in your heart. I'll guarantee you that if you'll join us in praying for Wisconsin, a star will rise in your heart and you'll look at our state different. You'll look at the kids and the young people and the colleges and all that's happening in Wisconsin. You'll look at the growth of false religions like Wicca in Wisconsin. You'll look at all these things and you'll look at them differently because a day star will rise in your heart and you're realizing Wisconsin has a great opportunity ahead and I believe we can be a part of that. Question. What do you want from God? That's what Jesus asked the man at the pool. What do you want? Number two, are you willing to abandon your past, your excuses? Are you willing to leave that cot and get up and walk? I don't know what your cot is. I knew what mine was, but I, I don't know what yours is. Are you willing to let it go? Instead of telling God why it can happen, are you willing to say, God, I don't care why it can. I know with you it can. Lastly, will you pray? Will you join us, this Northern Christian Alliance? I'm not near as organized as I should be. Daniel here has been a big help putting together our website, northernchristianalliance.com, other people. I'm not near as organized as I should be, but I'm committed to pray, and I'm asking you to pray. Wisconsin needs you, your neighbors. There's farmers, there's families that are just like mine with young people who will go to hell if somebody doesn't interrupt their eternal quest and bring them Jesus. Thanks for listening to The Refuge Podcast. For more information about who we are and to listen to more inspirational messages for free, visit us online at wearerefuge.net.